G'day punters. Want to win a day at the footy for you and 10 mates in the tab corporate box? Well, make sure you're listening later in the podcast for this week's all-important code word. Full terms and conditions in the show notes. G'day punters and welcome to Inside 50. This week we've got one of the legends from the North Melbourne Footy Club. 311 games, two premierships and voted the shin boner of the century. A very warm welcome to Glenn Archer. How are you, Arch? I'm very good, Quinny. Thanks for having me. Now, Shane Crawford, welcome to you. It's the first time I've ever seen you take a step back in the studio when Arch walked in. Well, my jaw was feeling a bit sore when I saw Glenn Archer. I don't think he wiped me out too many times, but I always knew that he was around. And he was the type of player, like, you, you could just see that he was prepared to do everything out in the field for the team to do well and for the team to win. So um, I can still remember a day when he was playing on Daniel Chick and Daniel Chick was up and about at the time and um, I think Daniel Chick got a free kick at one stage and I thought the umpire's in trouble, Daniel Chick's in trouble, I'm in trouble if I go near him. But um, yeah, you would have loved to have played with Glenn Archer. And Arch, your first practice game for North was against Hawthorne, against Jason Dunstall, and Croft was probably out there chirping away and didn't quite go too well, so things kicked on from there. Yeah, I thought that was the end of my career after one practice <laughs> match. Uh, it was 19... So you uh, played on Jason Dunstall? Yeah, 1992. Oh, gee, so, that's really in the deep end there. Yeah, Wayne was was the coach at the time, and he came up to me before the game, he goes, listen, I know it's your first practice match, but we're going to play you on Jason Dunstall to see how you go. Mick Martin's been doing okay with him in the regular season, so we don't want him to mm-hmm. get the edge on him. And I was like, okay. So I was 82 kilos at the time. So oh. uh, uh, halfway through the second quarter, uh, Jason had kicked eight. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, uh, but then, and then they took Jason off, thank God. He would have kicked 20-odd goals that day, and I thought, yeah. oh, my God. You should thought, hey, midfield, any pressure to actually help the ball come in a bit higher, a bit wider at times? But um, yeah, No, it wasn't the midfield. No. It was just me. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> he not- just threw me around like a rag doll. <laughs> he went on to kick 145 goals that year, so I, I, I take so a bit of credit to he, you know, get his confidence up. He was in his prime. Now, when you first two came together before the show started, you know, it was like you were best of mates, and then you started talking about New Orleans, Quinny. What, what on earth went on there? You went overseas with Glenn Archer? Oh, I did. I went on one of his sports tours in 2013, and we went to the Super Bowl in New Orleans, and it was a nice, quiet, relaxing time amongst friends, wasn't it, Arch? And any stories about to tell you, Croft, are very much embellished. Yeah, no, it was a great trip. We didn't see Quinny all that often. Uh, if anyone knows Bourbon Street, there's these, yeah, you know, there's these uh, places that you can go into every second joint where the... Girls don't wear too many clothes. Oh, so. no, Quinny. Um, Surely yeah. not. That's not the case. Every well, time he's we gone go red, but he knows that's I, not true. I would, you know, because I'm organising the place. We go for dinner. Yeah. Where's Quinny? Oh, he's uh, down in one of them. But. Oh, no, that's surely not. No, nah, he wasn't. <laughs> Spent a bit of time in the casino, though. <laughs> yeah, geez, it got me that casino. They played by different rules just to make it more challenging as well. But how's COVID docked you around, mate? Because looking at some of your... Ventures, you've got an events and travel, which has obviously been significantly affected. Yeah, a children's well. play centre, a nightclub, yeah. rentals in Byron Bay. But yeah. fortunately, you've got another business that's doing well at the moment. Yeah. Uh, well, my, my main business has been Code Entertainment Group for the last 11 years, of which when he jumped on one of the trips. So, yeah, we had, uh, oh, I think we had about... 15 conferences, trips to run, you know, when COVID hit and then it got switched off overnight. We went to com- went to zero. So starting to fight back where um, the girls who work for me, who 
when he knows they're uh, they are fantastic. They've been able to pivot. Um, we're running a conference next month, uh, but it's all virtual. So there's a hundred in every state, so they have to beam them all in, and so they're finding a way to to fight back. I actually started that business on the back of footy trips. Yeah, right. Because I, I, sixteen years of playing, I went on sixteen footy trips. I was I never missed. I had a year off, and then the following year, I sat me off a side of a sports management business for. 14 years, um, managing footballers and cricketers and whatnot. And I sat there and thought, I haven't had a footy trip for a couple of years. How <laughs> am I going to get... I'm not playing anymore. How do I do this? How can I get overseas legitimately without my wife telling me <laughs> off? And then the business was born. So it was a, just a hobby at the start. I, I know we're going to talk about footy with Glenn Archer, one of the all-time greats. Uh, we'll get there, but like, footy trips, when you're talking about footy trips, is there one footy trip that just is head and shoulders above the others that you go, oh, when we went to this location, it was the best? Um, the hard thing about footy trips is I can't remember too much <laughs> about them. And the, and we had a rule that you can't take photos either, which yep. I, I've, I wish wouldn't, we did Wouldn't work today days. with all the yeah. young kids yeah, you know, coming know. through Instagram. So I, I haven't even got a photo of the 16 <laughs> footy trips. But uh, we, we used to we spent a lot of time in Vegas. I reckon we did five Vegas trips, four to Koh Samui, Cancun. Yep. Um, but yeah, I'd, with the footage, as you know, you, you could go to Sunbury and and, yep. have this, and just <laughs> have as good a time, just as long as you're all together. And we, we made it mandatory, particularly as us guys got a bit older, that everyone had to go on the footy trip. If yeah. they, they couldn't afford it, they, we chipped in, but they had to go. Yeah, no, I think that's a great thing. And that's that's what I loved about the North Melbourne Football Club. It was a very social club. I used to hear a story of like Vegas and Wayne Carey, and I don't, I don't know if people just make it up, but you, you go to Vegas and then he's playing the tables. He has a, a big win. Then they upgrade the uh, the the uh, the room to a huge penthouse and all of a sudden, you know, puts up, Everyone for free for a couple of days. Is there any truth in any of those rumours? Yes, a lot of truth. Well, yeah, it actually started in New Orleans. He went to New Orleans once, went to the casino there where Quinny was living, um, <laughs> and he took a fair bit of money off him. So, uh, and the managers come into the New Orleans casino. It was called Harrah's, and they said to, said to him, oh, would you like to go to Vegas? We've got a private plane. We'll fly to Vegas try and get their money back because he's taken yes. a fair bit off them. Yep. So we yeah, being duck, <laughs> not a problem, private jet, straight to Vegas, took most of the money back off him. Uh, but then they kept in contact and said, whenever you come back to Vegas, it's all laid on. And he said, well, um, what about me 40 mates? <laughs> and they said, not a problem. As long as you bet in this casino and your mates bet, you can have all the rooms for free, everything's for free, all food, drink, <laughs> what not wow so we we had that for two <laughs> years and then obviously he mucked up and uh see how much I love footy trips like right in the heart of it when he's mucked up all I can think of was oh we're gonna have to pay for our rooms now <laughs> <laughs> no more footy trips ah <laughs> uh, that's very funny but uh yeah no they were great fun and they were actually we made it mandatory for the kids because it was great for them. It was great yeah. for them to come out of their shell. You know, that's they, where you get to know them. Yeah, yeah. And they, they Before get they get delisted. <laughs> delisted. Yeah, that's, that's what right. we used to happen with us. You have the best time on a footy trip, finally yeah. get to know this player, comes out of their shell, and then, oh, you're not around there next year. Yeah, because like, generally their first year, they don't say all that much, yeah. and they're, you know, they're a little bit shy. You put them on a footy trip, and within 
three beers. It's oh god, actually a wanker. They come out of their shell next preseason. Away they go. Yep. So we actually, even though we wanted them to have a good time, but there was a bit of a method to our madness as well that we wanted them to come out of their shell. And one more, Quinny. I know we're going to start with. No, the I like the fact stuff, we're doing it this way. But um, obviously, with your corporate groups. What's the best experience you ever had uh, from that point of view? You know, has it been the golf? Is it you know, the horse racing? Is it, you know, the, the soccer? Whatever it is, what, what yeah. has been the experience that's really stuck with you? Oh, for a pure party, well, I've done nine Monaco Grand Prix. So nine. We did nine in a row. So <laughs> they were absolutely fantastic. We have a 180-foot yacht in the harbour right up against the track and wow. had some amazing experiences. It's just, Monaco is just a different place as you can imagine. And so you can watch the Grand Prix just sitting on, on your yacht, yeah? Yeah, you can throw a bread roll and hit the car. You're right up against the track. Um, actually, I'll tell you a quick story about that. We we used to share the boat with a, a mob called the Amberlands. The Amberlands was a big uh, like nightclub party uh, in Monaco just for that weekend. And they would bring in all these stars, Kim Kardashian and um, Rachel Hunter and uh, Justin Bieber and all these sort of people. So they were allowed to use the boat over the weekend. So I never knew who was coming on the boat. Um, And I I would, you know, Kim Kardashian would walk in and they'd go, oh, how did you organise that? That's that's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) But we had Justin Bieber come on uh, one of the days. And so you can imagine these. So you had all the Aussie crew yeah, just there having a good time and Justin Bieber comes onto your yacht. Yeah, so he comes on, a little pipsqueak, and <laughs> the boat's four storeys high. Um, so when the cars come out, you want to be on the top, you know, to get the best uh, vantage point. He comes on with his little entourage, goes up to the very top of the boat and he's got a security guard with him and ropes it off. And the cars were about to come on for qualifying. So I said, said to the lady, I said, hey, you know, we're paying for this boat. We're going up there. Um, can you go tell them to bring that rope down? So she <laughs> goes up there and uh, comes back with her tail between her legs and says, oh, no, he wants to have some time on his own. I said, I can give a stuff. Who are you? <laughs> so I get up there yeah. and sort of barge my way past the thing and the security guard grabs me. I said, hey, we, we're coming up here. We're paying for this boat. I don't really care who he is. These guys, we're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for this boat. To his credit, he came over and he goes, Hi, I'm Justin. G'day, Justin. Glenn, I made sure my voice was a bit deeper. (laughs) And uh, I said, Mate, uh, I've got got 30 guys downstairs. They need to be up to watch this this race. And um, I said, They're they're in their 50s. They're they're not going to bother with you. He goes, Oh, no, that's fine. Not a problem. I said, Well, tell your goon. (laughs) <laughs> so we go down I get all the guys and I go listen Justin Bieber's up there we're going up to the top I said he obviously gets hammered a bit so just just leave him alone he's yep. just having a few drinks in the corner and I went yeah, yeah not a problem <laughs> within a minute there's about three blokes hey selfie <laughs> <laughs> he lasted about another ten minutes and he took off ah oh, that's pretty cool I love the fact that you didn't back down it's like no 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 mate we've come to watch this race <laughs> I, I don't care. You can't take us off from the top section. We're going there. Oh, and yeah. only Glenn Archer would get that done. The list of people Archer's intimidated now includes Justin Bieber and Justin Bieber's security. What about Kim Kardashian? So she floated through at one stage, did she? Yeah, yep. 
Oh, yeah, my daughters weren't happy with that because I got a photo with her, but it was completely blurred. (laughs) (laughs) I actually interrupted her dinner, which I shouldn't have done, but I I thought my daughters love the Kardashians. So I went up and I said, "Uh, excuse me, Kim, I'll get a photo. And she looked at me as like... Yep. How rude, which I was. Yep. But I was just thinking about the kids. So I got the photo, went back to the, the, the table and looked at it and went, oh, oh no. Can't even recognise it. Either one of us. I said, and um, he goes, ah, we'll go back. I said, oh, no. I'm going back. I can't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, the Monaco brings up them sort of experiences. But it's not all roses because when you're actually all, Organising and you're running the trip, you know, yeah. there's a there's a yep. fair bit of anxiety because like, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars getting spent. So I'm always a little bit anal about everything being right. And what about the North Melbourne footy trips? Because they are famous, and you mentioned how they did bring the team together. They made 42 blokes into a team. It sounds like it was great fun along the way. Are there any stories from those trips that you can share? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like I said, my, my memory's a little bit jaded. Who, who was always who was always best on? Who, who was the always the life of the party? You know, oh, oh Wayne was it Wayne? Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Wayne, he was uh, it was probably he was the best on field I'd have ever seen. He's probably the best off field I've seen as well. Um, but he was great. He was always organising. You know, and I know every now and then a couple of guys would crack it and say, "Oh, why do we have to do what Wayne does all the time?" I go, "Well, he's <laughs> organising things." It's and. Generally, the things that he organises are pretty good. So just let him go. Yeah, yep. <laughs> uh, he was, he was, he was, he was a great captain um, on the field, and then off the field, he always made a point of making sure everyone was together. Like he had a pub in North Melbourne, the Redback Brewery, and uh, that I think that ended up going broke because he made sure every player got back there and no one paid for a drink and, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. So he, he was very good like that. Yeah. What about when youngsters came into the club? What was he like then? Did he make them feel part of it straight away? And was that another key factor in building up that great team spirit you had through the 90s? Yeah. Wayne's got a decent ego, but um, well, it sort of exerts an ego on the field. But off the field in the social environment, um, it's not so much an ego. It's just he just wants to have fun. So it doesn't matter who's around, um, what player it is, he wants to bring them together and make sure everyone has fun. G'day punters for the chance to win a ticket for you and 10 mates into the Tab Superbox. The magic code word this week is GOAL. Full terms and conditions in the show notes. There's a chill in the air, but the footy's heating up. And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, anytime goal scorer and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL same-game multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858. Growing up, I think it's safe to say you had a different footy path to a lot of the guests we've had. We had Brett Deludio, who at 13 knew he was going to be a professional sportsman. Crawford's a bit more humble. He says he didn't know he was going to be a professional sportsman until Hawthorne picked him for the first time. But from what I've heard, it probably wasn't even on your radar growing up. A boy knocking around in Noble Park that footy was a bit of fun and not much more to that. Yeah, that was something that I absolutely loved. Um, and going through my junior career, I was definitely one of the better players, but I wasn't, you know, the elite. Um, so I just didn't think I'd be good enough to to make the grade. Um, and it wasn't, well, I think it was about 17, I got asked to go to a North Melbourne 
um, pre-season under-19s back then. Um, Dennis Pagan was the coach. And I lasted three weeks. Um, just felt like I was completely out of my depth. Um, particularly you, well, then and early on in my career, I was, I was a real average kick. I was kicking off my shin and missing targets. And um, did you, I, Were you a midfielder or, or no, you I was always a forward. A, oh, you were a forward? I was a forward back then, okay. yeah. So, um, yeah, and Dennis was a lunatic. Like, I'd come from Noble Park, I'd do whatever I like. I'd rock up there yep. and got this curly-headed like swearing and carrying on and making you do 10 400s and 10 200s <laughs> and my endurance wasn't very good back then um so i just thought no nah, this isn't for me so i just went back to noble park started playing senior footy and then in i was about 18 i got a phone call from dennis at home um no mobile phones back then it was about round four of the season and he said um I'd like you to come down and have a game i said no nah, i'm, I'm Fine where I am. I was wrapped at Naval Park. I was getting a hundred bucks cash a game. Yeah, losing most of it on the Thursday night in the Crown and Anchor, but I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was having a ball. I thought I'm not going there to play for fifteen bucks. Um, and he said, "Just come down and play one game." I said, "Nah." So I reckon after about fifth, sixth time of him calling me at the house, I said to my girlfriend at the time, now wife, I said, "I'm just going to. I'll go down and play one game for this week. He's just going to keep ringing the bloody house." Um, so I went down and trained on the Tuesday, pulled out again, didn't d- turn up the training on the Thursday. He goes, why aren't you training? I said, I just don't want to play. I don't want to do it. He goes, just come down on Saturday. <laughs> if you don't like it, then you can piss off back to Noble Park. Oh, oh. So I went down, played, I always remember played Carlton uh, at Arden Street, kicked a couple of goals, enjoyed the guys' company straight away. But then I worked out that they were playing in Sydney the following week and I'd never been on a plane. Oh. So I went home and I said, I'm going to play one more game. I want to go on that plane. So I went up there. Same sort of thing happened. I thought, ah, okay. this isn't too bad. I, I might hang around for a little bit. And then, yeah, 17 years later, I was still well, there. That's such a fine line, you know, because oh, yeah. you, you think, oh, no, if you, you don't go there, maybe Glenn Archer doesn't end up in the AFL system. Maybe you don't end up at North Melbourne. And Yeah, no, well, I, I, def- I, def- I definitely wouldn't have played. I'd, I'd never been spoken by it to any club. I'd never played in Teal Carp. I'd never but, run but anyone. No- Noble Park was always a very tough um, stomping ground, wasn't it? Yeah, from a from a, a footballing point of view, but always a high level as well. Yeah, good breeding ground. A yep. lot, of, lot of good players come through Noble Park. Uh, Darren Mullane, all the Maud brothers. Like we, we had on the wall at Noble Park, there'd be twenty players that had come through there, which is rare for a yeah. local footy club. Yep. So it was a good breeding ground. How did you get on their radar? The great Greg Miller suss you out as a young age because you're sort of half-talking down your footy ability, but for North to be chasing you like that, you must have shown something. How did you come on their radar? Yeah, it was Greg Miller. Yeah, he was like an under-16 um, representative game down at Paran. I was playing for the Dandenong because I played in the Dandenong area. And he just happened to be there the one game... All the games that I played, maybe, I don't know, if there was four or five games that played, I was um, not being modest at all. I was hopeless for four of them. The one that I played well, he turned up and then just saw something and said, come down and do a pre-season. As as a a young kid coming through, so did you always play with that sort of edge, you know, where that real sort of hardness and it was like like you def... Well, obviously you're a forward there, but did you chase and harass like you know your life was on the line, like you did when you went to AFL level, or was it was it something that you had to work on? Yeah, nah, I was I always 
play with a, you know, always attack the ball hard and all that sort like of stuff. Like a Jake Stringer style, you know, yeah. just flat out when the ball's in that area. Yeah, I, but I was more so in the AFL. More so because I didn't think I was good enough. And I worked out pretty quick that I don't have the talent of yourself, heard these sort of guys, guys that you know had to play against. So I thought oh, I need to find something else, and I just found I just need to be as aggressive as possible because the talent's not going to get me there. I need to, I need to find another element to my game. So and then when you start doing a, a few harder things or courageous things, then Dennis would pump you up for it, uh, and then you go. Oh, I like that feeling when he pumps me up for yep. doing that. I might do it again. Yep. <laughs> well, we hear about Dennis being a real hard nose and abusing players and giving them a lot of stick when he's not happy with them. But by the sounds of it, he really built up a lot of confidence in you and pointed out a lot of things you were doing well that really resonated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And but he, he pulled out the negatives as well. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you were probably the player that probably scared him the most because you play throughout your career but he sort of knows at any stage Glenn Archer might just walk away from the game you know because it was such an effort to try and get him to to come and believe in himself so he probably coached thinking oh I could get a phone call any day Glenn Archer might say that's enough for me I'm going to go back and yeah. and play local footy did yeah was and that we, sort and of argue a bit oh did you yeah and because my I'd, I'd buy him it's got better as I got older but my temper was horrible like really bad when I think back now it's when I was younger you know, just the flick of any, the switch of anything would send me off. <laughs> so he would yell at me, I'd yell at him back and swear at him. And um, so, yeah, we had a, we, particularly early on, we were quite volatile. Yep. But uh, got so much better as I got older. You started your career at North in 1992 in the senior level. Wayne Schimmelwush was the coach then. You only had one year under Wayne. What was his coaching like on you? Well, I can't put him down because he he actually saw something in me that I, I didn't see myself. So he he put me into the side in round four of my first year. Well, first he put me on Dunstall. So <laughs> <laughs> he nearly ruined my career. Uh, um, but then put me in at round four. Um, I went like a busted for three games in a row. He gave me three games. Um, and I, I, I reckon I'm one of the only players in history... <laughs> That went back to the seconds, played well, knew that they were going to call me back up, so I didn't turn up to training because I didn't want to go back up there because oh. <laughs> I was com- <laughs> I was I was packing myself because I'd, I'd made a fool of myself the first three games, um, and I remember Keith Gregg rang me. He was the chairman of selectors. He said, "Why aren't you at training?" I said, "Oh, I've got a I've got an exam for trade school tomorrow." He goes, "Well, you still got to come to training. We're going to play this week." I went, "Oh." Okay, I'll come next week. So obviously they couldn't play me. So uh, yeah, I was avoiding getting elevated into the seniors. Yeah, and, and it's then, just that belief. Yeah, yeah, it's I just, just all <coughs> about belief. You know, play a good game, getting that confidence, and then away yeah. you go. And I got that at the end of that year. They he played me the last three games, and I played against three really good players. So Gavin Brown, I always remember Richard Osborne, and Greg Anderson from Essendon. And I didn't beat him at all, but I just sort of held my own and I got a bit of confidence from that going, oh, I might be able to, to match it with him. So, um, yeah, so there was plenty of moments early on in my career that I could have easily gone down the other path. This for lack of belief. Yep. Um, which I think it helped me anyway towards the end. Because I, I never really had belief, even when we won premierships and all that sort of stuff. I always thought I was two games away from getting dropped. Because Dennis made you. Wow. That, like that's, that well. that's, 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 
that's great coaching as well to have players yeah. think that they're always on the edge and they could drop out at any stage and you know, I, I think Alistair Clarkson's very similar the way that he, not at the moment, because he's playing a lot of young kids, but it was always the way. You just, you yeah. never felt really safe. So that's why you keep backing out week after week. Yeah. Well, we had one player that was never going to get dropped. The rest of us thought we were going to get dropped at any stage. You know, you, you play five ga- good games in a row and you have one bad game, you'll go, you want to perform next week, you know, you'll be on the chopping block. And, and you, you would. And you, you, know, you, and you yep. never were on the chopping block when you really yeah. think about it. Yep. But it just made you feel like you're on the chopping block. If that was today and you did what you just described, not going to training, you'd probably be described as having high-level anxiety. Did you have anxiety or was it just a confidence thing? I think it was more confidence. Yeah, just not believing that I was good enough at that level. And particularly when you start so bad. It's, it's funny how the mind works because you got Glenn Archer, shin boner of the century. Everyone thinks of Glenn Archer as unbelievably tough player, an amazing player, and you know super consistent. Whereas you're thinking right throughout your whole career, I'm only one or two games away from being dropped. Yeah, you know, and and you would lack confidence at some stages. And like I can remember, and I was doing a little bit of work with Brad Hill, and he's come off winning three premierships in a row. Started the next season poor with a couple of poor games. He'd lost all his confidence. Yeah. I'm like, how, how can you lose your confidence after winning three premierships in a row, being a really important cog into the way the team went? But it just shows you, you got to train that mind. you got to keep that mind so positive all the time. Even when you have a little downer, you got to somehow find a way to get yourself back up. Yeah. And I found it easier being a backman. As a midfielder, if you're going through a bad patch, so you're so reliant on that midfield. Like if you're averaging 30 and then it drops to 11 or 12 and you're the key, as you were, at Hawthorne, then the, that's serious pressure where I could go back, play in the back pocket, just beat your man. Just beat your man, particularly in the 90s. Yep. That's all you're going to do. So I used to just go back and go, rightio, uh, you're going bad. <laughs> Just be your man. Just, just lock on. Just be a, a Ryan Crowley for the day and then get a bit of confidence just by beating your man. So uh, I used to feel for the midfielders. It's a lot easier playing down back than in the midfield. So. But but you you were known for, for doing that, playing you know extremely tight and extremely tough, but then you're also known for helping your, your teammates out a lot, you know, being that third man in or being that intercept mark. So that's an extension of your game that you – it happened naturally or you were – you were trained that way, North Melbourne said, no, you need to find a bit more of the ball, come off your man, or was it just something that you just wanted to go and find the footy? Yeah, I, I did like marking the ball. I liked going for me marks. Um, and I, I worked out, I don't know how, when it was in my career, I worked out going back with the flight of the ball. <coughs> um, I actually felt more comfortable doing that than actually going head on into a pack. And it just become logical if you can come back with the flight of the ball in the right way. Like yeah, you're you, probably the only player in history <laughs> that has ever said that they're more comfortable going back with the flight of the ball. Well, I just thought it was logical. If absolutely, if you if you're running back wide open, you're in deep trouble. Um, if they if they hit you in the back, but I, I just found I'd, I had a good knack of getting on a 45 degree angle and coming in with my hip and my knee. So logically, I said, think, well, if I come in at that angle, the guys coming at me, they're in more trouble than me because they're, they're going to have to go into my hip and my, and my knee. So I said, it's fine. If I get to that position there, they're in trouble, not me. So um, that's it. And I used to 
you know, coach kids and all that sort of stuff and not try and take, but part, part of it's instinct but just try and get yourself into that position don't get yourself into that position and, and it's it's sounds oh yeah okay that makes sense which it all makes sense but you're you're coming off your opponent and then you're getting in front of players like Jason Dunstall, you know, Tony Lockett, Gary Ablett, you know, players who are big and strong and they want to sort of smash pack. So it's it's something that not a lot of people would put their hands up for a role like that because you know that, especially Tony Lockett, um, you know that he just wants to wipe you out. Yeah. Yeah, and they made you concentrate harder. <laughs> yeah, make sure you get into that position. Make sure you get the angles right. Yeah. Well, Gary Apple Senior was worse. Like, if he couldn't mark the ball, he was going to yep. kill you. How many times I went off with a, a bent neck <laughs> trying to get in the, into the hole? Because that was part of my role as well. Mick Mark would play full back, I'd play back pocket. And with all them gun full forwards, because they got, because I'm obviously so good and needed some help, so they'd try and get in the hole as much as possible. So, um, but it was hard playing with Mick because Mick didn't speak all that much. <laughs> uh, I know before the 96 grand final, I got told during the week that we were playing, we were obviously playing Sydney and Tony Lockett was a full back, uh, full forward at the time. Dennis Pagan says to me, you're, you're playing on Craig O'Brien in the back pocket. I don't care what Craig O'Brien does. You've just got to keep coming off and help out Mick because if Plugger kicks 10, we lose. So I was, I was a massive visualiser of the game. Spent a lot of time on my back in my office, closing my eyes, going through different situations, putting myself in different situations. So I just thought, if I can put myself in visually in that situation a hundred times, when the time comes, I'm sort of prepared for it. Um, so I started putting myself in coming off Craig O'Brien, Plugger, Mick, 240 kilos between them two. I might go speak to Mick about this. <laughs> so I went to spoke to Mick. I said, now, Mick, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to help out as much as possible. But if I get camped under it, just say something so I can brace myself. And the typical Mick Martin's fashion. <laughs> yeah, no, right, no. <laughs> so we go, 10 minutes into that grand final, ball gets kicked out, all that visualisation kicks in, leave Craig O'Brien, get camped under it. No, nah, I can't hear nothing beautiful. I'll mark this. And then, bang, straight in me back. Plugger's got me, so Plugger and Shrek rolling all over the top of me. And as Plugger used to do, get me ahead and smash it into the ground and say, get out of the way. He'd say some other words as well. And I'd get to go, Mick, say something, mate. <laughs> oh, neck time, Mark, neck time, neck time. <laughs> he did that all day. <laughs> neck time, neck time. Uh, <laughs> I knew there was never going to be any more <laughs> next time. Uh, so, yeah, when people said after the game, because I won the Norm Smith medal, they were going, oh, you're so courageous. <laughs> Nothing to do with courage. I thought I was on my own the whole time. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. It's probably a good thing Mickey didn't say anything. But, yeah. I mean, just watching that grand final and so many other great games that you played, you got cleaned up going back with the pack so many times. Is there one you can recall where afterwards you were just lying there and you're like, oh my goodness, that hurt. Even I'm starting to doubt that was a good decision. Um, yeah, one uh, against West Coast, Johnny Worsfold. <clears throat> me and him had a... Th- Bit of a thing going because he used to try and punch up Brett Allison and I used to jump in and and he, he was um, a big strong body too, oh, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he was. He was, he was an was, animal and generally tough. Yeah. Like he was really tough. There's some huffers and puffers out there, but he's yeah. genuine. Um, but I used to we used to get into a lot of you know jumper punches and um, having a go at each other. And so I always had it in my mind if I get a chance, I'm I'm going to get him. <laughs> if I can get him, I'm going to get him. So we play West Coast over Subiaco 
um, ball gets kicked over my head. I had a quick look, and there was all I could see is grass. Beautiful. I just run back casually and mark it with the flight of the ball. And I don't know where he come from, but he got me straight down the middle, worst fold. Little pop up sprinkler came oh, from nowhere, and I was gone. And I was on my back; I couldn't breathe. And Anthony Stevens, who was my best mate, he knew of our bit yep. of our rivalry, and he's standing above me, going, "Arch, get up! It was worst fold." <laughs> I go, "I can't." <laughs> I literally couldn't breathe, and so he. They eventually got me up and I sort of walked around and the siren went. I went in, he um, deflated one of my lungs so I couldn't get breath back. Wow. So uh, they put me on the oxygen and got me going again. I spent the next half chasing him around trying to get him but I never got him so he ended up winning the battle. So that yeah, that was probably one of the worst. That was the worst that I copped. What about the other way? What's one time you got someone and you're like, yep, I really did nail them there? <sighs> no, none that I can remember really. They're um, not a particular player. Yeah, as you know, when you play footy, when you do get someone, you, it's a, there's a certain feeling go, oh, yeah, that must have hurt because he wasn't ready for it. Um, you can run into blokes who are ready for it and it's quite hard, you know, but sometimes they fold and you go, <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> well, you brought up the 96 grand final. It was on the back of Dennis Pagan coming to north and the kangaroos trending in the right direction. What can you remember about grand final day? Not much. I remember the last 10 minutes. It's funny because, uh, I don't know, you're just so entrenched in what you're doing and just playing your role and making sure you get everything right. And, and it wasn't until probably the last yeah, five or 10 minutes because we were up by about 40 points where you could actually just sit back and, and take it all in. Um, and obviously running out into the ground, that's quite daunting um, when you run out with you know 100,000 people screaming 10 times louder than what they normally scream. Um, that hits you like a punch in the face. And they, they started well. We're talking about the Swans, aren't yes. we? They, they yeah. started well in that match, didn't they, the Swans? Yeah, yes. yeah. They, they were five goals up. Or yeah, they were up and about early. Yeah. I was at that game. I do remember going along to that game. I just couldn't remember um, exactly what year. But because my brother was emergency, um, he was first emergency. Yeah. Um, he was only a young kid at the time. I was hoping he'd scrape in and play. So, um but, yeah, I, I do remember that the Swans, you know, they started really well. Um, and normally, you know, when a team starts well in a grand final, it's pretty hard to peg back. Yeah. Well, and we, as a defensive unit, we got a lot of importance for, you know, doing well and, and containing Plugger. He still kicked six. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> he still got six. So we did well. We were like, yes, we, we kept him to six. <laughs> That's how good he was. And you personally, people talk about the courage you showed that day, but you got the Norm Smith medal, and a lot of that was due to the fact that you used the ball so well. You had 22 disposals. A lot of them set up goals through the midfield and off half back. So for a man that doubted his kicking ability at the start of his career, just four years later, you're leading the team to a premiership and winning a Norm Smith. Yeah. But again, I'm not trying to be modest, but it was one of them... Gr- Games where you could have picked five, six, seven players. It was so even. I think someone told me I did, actually didn't even get a three vote. I made it up with twos and ones. So there was whoever was the four that were voting, their votes were all over the place because it was very hard to pick. Yep. Probably should have been Corey McKernan when I think about it. Like He, he played in the ruck. I think he had 31 possessions. Um Kick the goal. Not about possessions. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah I think but as a ruckman, so much. Yeah, no, exactly. A, yeah. I, I know, but you th- 
think as a defender, 22 touches, impacting the game, stopping goals, you know, obviously one of the, the greatest or the greatest goal kicker of all time, um, you know, who's sniffing around and, as you said, uh. kick six. So um, I think you're playing it down a bit. But, you know, when, when you think about playing in grand finals and, um, you know, how special the occasion is, um, you know, do, does it still stay in your memory, um, you know, um, or is it just a blur, you know, like once you the siren goes, you win the flag, you're on top of the world, you're thinking, how good's this? So I was playing at Noble Park, now I'm playing with the, the mighty kangaroos. Does it still, do you still have, even to this day, you go along to the MCG and you have flashbacks and you can recall things or is it all a blur now? It's just surreal. I still find it surreal that I actually played and won a, and won a premiership. Maybe because of, like, you know, my lead up as a junior and the way I got into the AFL. I still, I still find it quite surreal that I actually played in a, in a premiership. I played in two premierships. Um, but, yeah, I can't remember that many moments. I, just, I do remember the lap after the game. That was, again, the surreal looking up going far out. A couple of years ago, I was watching this on TV, yeah. and now, yep. now I'm one of them running around. So, yeah, I uh, definitely cherish it. It's our 25 year anniversary this year, so we're uh, we we play Sydney round 22. So we're we're having a reunion. Oh, cool! That that yep. day, which should be good. That'll yeah. be a lot of fun. Um, you know, some of the players you played with, uh, you know, '96. Anthony Stevens was always one of my favourites. Someone I used to play on but knew of from the the area that I came from but he he's just a warrior like he he would just throw his head over the footy even if someone's going to launch and try and kick the ball off the ground it didn't it didn't matter and I know you know you had some some real star players but he for me he was he was your engine he was he was a real you know one of the most important cogs I think when you look back at what he would do for the team and you know how he brought everyone together yeah, oh, definitely, and not not being biased because he's my best mate, but <clears throat> he was just one of them guys. As you know, you you want to run out in the field and you want to look at the guys next to you and go, "Yeah, I can trust him. I, I know exactly what I'm going to get from him." And he would be well, him and Wayne were number one. Like, you knew exactly what you're going to get from them. That's they're just not going to alter all that much. And yeah, Steve-O is one of the only blokes that yeah would. Jump across the ball, get kicked in the face, and then get up with a smile on his face. So, yeah, he would. <laughs> he, he, would. A, he was that type of player. He, he loved had it, a didn't hard he? Head. And like if Wayne Kerry wasn't around, um, Steve O won two best and fairest and come runners up four times to to Wayne. So he potentially potentially could have won yep. six best and fairest. And one was in a premiership year as well. So um, he doesn't get the accolades of the wider public. I don't think he does at North Melbourne and guys that like yourself who played against him and whatnot. Um, unfortunately, he gets remembered because of the the Wayne Carey thing. Um, but people forget how good a footballer he was. Yeah, he was, and it's it's a great advertisement for kids from the bush. You know, he, he's from Wayai, wasn't it? Wayai, a little yeah. Wayai, a population yeah. of, I don't know, 300, 400, yeah, maybe, maybe a few more. And it just shows you, you know, if you believe in yourself, you have a crack, you just never know where you may get to. And he, he for me, was a, a really good story. And, and I found him a really inspirational player. And I love playing against him because he would. He'd yeah. just smile all the whole time. Yeah. He, it was like he was having a time of his life. <laughs> Beating the hell out of each other and he gets up with a big grin. How did yeah. the team celebrate that 96 premiership? Yeah, probably too hard. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was... 
three weeks <laughs> until I stopped having drinking beer. Um, I do remember rocking up to the 97 pre-season uh, after celebrating so hard in 96 and I'm sitting at my locker and Dennis Pagan walks out and starts talking to everyone and then he looks over to me and goes, Jesus, son, you swallowed your mattress. <laughs> <laughs> I was 100 kilos. And what would you normally be? Oh, around that time, I was about 93. So seven kilos of beer. Yeah. Well, I went to America for two weeks and ate all their <laughs> crap food. And well, that, that's the thing with America, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can I have a salad sandwich? And then they deliver it with all these fries. Yeah. Oh, well, I might as well have a few fries. And 17 layers of ham. <laughs> and all these refills, you know, of soft drink. But uh, so I reckon if you're playing today, you'd be play. You'd play as a defender at 85 kilo. Yeah, you reckon? Yeah. Well, when I finished, I was 88 because I was sort of transition went from yep. that that power period through the 90s, and then it become more of a running game. And towards the end of my career, I couldn't play down back either very often because they changed the rules. You couldn't chop the arms, couldn't hands in the back. That was gone. So that they were my weapons. Yes, yeah. So they took them away from me, so I had to go up to the wing. So yep. I had to run more. So I had to and, then, and then it got easier for defenders. Everyone says it gets harder for defenders, modern-day football, but I'm like, oh, not really, not when they saturate numbers back. I'm yeah. like, this, that's the defenders, that's the gold mine. How good is this? Come back, you know, more is welcome. So yeah. it's very, very different style of game these days. And as a defender, when you look back and, and watch old footage, you're thinking, hang on, I'm one out there with Jason Dunstall, in yeah. the 50 arc, there's no one else around. That just wouldn't happen these days. It just nah. would not be allowed to happen. Nah. I, do, I do get frustrated sometimes. Yeah, I don't watch much footy, but I, w- I watch North religiously. Um, but, yeah, sometimes I go, maybe just, just drop a forward back just on his own for a while. Just see what happens. Yep. I know it's going to maybe throw the structure out a little bit with the press, but just put him on his own, see what happens. Like a Cam Zuhart. I love him on his own. Yeah, yep, uh, absolutely. Yeah, imagine him one-on-one in a bit of space. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but you've you got to be brave and bold and go against the trend. And one guy out of that sign, I don't think that would hurt with the way they can move footy these days. Yeah. I don't know, there's something in that. North win the Premiership in 96 and have a good 97. Go on to make a prelim. Unfortunately, you and Wayne Schwoss are both out suspended. Yeah. The Kangas lose. Dennis Pagan did not take this well. No, he didn't. No, he, uh, we knew he wouldn't. <laughs> the, obviously, two of his backmen out of, out of the team, and we got beat, beaten by 10 goals. But we, we watched the game from the race, me and Schwatter, um, and when the game, it was the old Melbourne rooms that we were coming out of, and we're in that, you know, the old race with the, and we're standing there, and Dennis comes out of the, the old coach's box on the MCC side. Comes down, he's just got his eyes are just beaming straight for us. Oh gosh, what are we going to cop it here? Big time. He, I said, I'm not hanging around here. He goes, I'm staying. I said, Good luck. <laughs> I filtered myself down onto the ground and I was just getting behind the players, you know, oh, bad luck, mate. Bad luck. But I was just hiding from Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> Swatter stays there, goes straight up to Swatter and just absolutely gives it to him. Like some of the worst curse words <laughs> you've ever heard. So uh, we go in, all the players go into the coach's room, close the door. You can hear the coach yelling. Oh, I go sit down next to Swatter Shorters like this. I said, I told you to get out of that race. <laughs> <laughs> Mental. And I thought, I've got it, I've got out of it. And then, and then you hear his, 
from the coach's box. Where's Archer? <laughs> oh, shit. So, yeah, I'll go in. He put me and Schwatter out the front and basically said, look at your teammates, you've cost them a grand final. Oh, uh, that's a bit harsh. That, that's What was it, 10 goals? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's a bit harsh. But um, and, yeah, Schwatter uh, never played another game. For well, that's us. it. He went off to the Swans. He went off to the Swans. Yeah. Is that because of the bad blood? He thought, "No, I'm out of here." You don't, you know. But you look at the heat of the moment. Your grand final. No one wants to lose. But yeah, you know, you, if you had your time over, or you, you a week later, you go, "Okay, we've settled down now." Yes, I took it out on you. That's not the case. But we yeah. need you out in the field. Oh, I definitely, definitely pushed him over the edge. But Schwatter was ready anyway. You know, he's. Mental health stuff's um, yep. well documented now, but he needed to get out of Melbourne. He loved going to Sydney. Yep. <laughs> no yep. one knew him. Yep. Um, and his footy benefited too because he played really good footy up there. He was all Australian a couple of times, one of the best and fairest. So in the end, it was the right move for him. G'day, punters, for the chance to win a ticket for you and 10 mates into the Tab Superbox. The magic code word this week is GOAL. Full terms and conditions in the show notes. There's a chill in the air, but the footy's heating up. And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets, like head-to-head, anytime goal scorer and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1800 858 858. The Kangas bounce back in 1998 and go on to make the grand final where you're up against the Adelaide Crows. The Crows finished the home and away season fifth after winning the flag the year before. North, a pretty firm favourite in that grand final, dominate the first half, lead by 24 points, but kick six goals 15 in the first half. What can you remember about half time? Um, I do remember in my own mind thinking this is a training drill. Um, we actually should be 10 goals up. And then the other part of me might go, hey, <laughs> settle down. <laughs> we're not home yet. Um, and I think a lot of players were thinking the same because it was quite – it was it was like we were playing the wooden spooners. We were that dominant. We just didn't show it on the scoreboard, but we should have been 10, 11 goals up. So we thought, oh, we'll straighten the goal kicking up and then we'll win by 10. And uh, it just got completely flipped on its head. Yeah, but well, and when you kick nine goals, twenty-two for the game, it's uh, it's the forwards' fault. <laughs> no doubt about that. <laughs> but it was just a surreal day. I mean, the likes of Carey and even McKerner were just missing goals that they would normally kick in their sleep. Yeah, they were they were pretty easy kicks as well. But as we know, it sort of runs through the seem like a bit of a cancer when blokes start missing and then the guy you know it might be the sixth guy having a shot he's going oh they're all missing is there a bit more wind here than and they they don't go through their proper routine and then they start spraying them all over the place so yeah that that was definitely the one that got away that was our best in the 90s that 98 was our best team uh, i think we won our last 11 games by an average of 50 points so we that was definitely the one that got away now Croft has a theory he looks at Geelong when they didn't win 2008 and he said that made them better and stronger in 2009 when they came out and won the flag. Did that apply to your kangaroos in 99? Yeah, oh, definitely. But, uh, it was one of them years, though, where we weren't as dominant as the year before. Essendon were the most dominant team, um, but then they got 
knocked out in the prelim and then we played Carlton. But um, yeah, it would have been really interesting to see how we would have gone against Essendon. I think they beat us both times during the home and away season. But I do, I do when Essendon supporters come up and say, you know, we would have won that grand final in 1999. I go, it's hard to win it when you're not in it. <laughs> so, I do neutral, like rubbing it in because I hate it. As a neutral, though, I was bitterly disappointed because it was like a world title fight between the two heavyweight boxers. Unfortunately, the Bombers just had a slip up on the way there and you came up against Carlton instead. So it is a bit of a strange one that the two great teams from that era, Essendon and North Melbourne, never met in a grand final. Yeah, and that, that was the one team that I would have loved to play in a grand final. Um <clears throat> if we did play him in 99, I reckon half of our team would have got 10 weeks each because we did. <laughs> it would have been a grand final, a lot on the line. We wouldn't have really cared about suspensions or whatever, and we, we did hate him with a passion. Still, and that's the way footy was. There was great rivalry, wasn't there, between yeah. some of the clubs, and there was real hatred. Like, you know, these days you see players walking off after games having – good laugh and, you know, catching up and everyone's friends. But back, you know, 90s style, it was, we want to knock your head off. Oh, we, we want to take you down. We don't want to see you in the street. We don't want to talk to you. We just want to defeat you. It's extraordinary what you see these days. I, I just, I can't fathom it. After every game I see, everyone's out there laughing and hugging and carrying on. What is going on? Is this a, a different generation or it doesn't mean Especially anything Especially when you, you, you play... Like, you play you play to win. You do everything you possibly can to win. You want to be the best you possibly can as an individual and you want team success. Uh, and after a loss, I, I can't I can't understand it either. I'm like, oh. how can you stand there having a chat? All I wanted to do is get out of there and go and work out how can we get better and, and get it done the following week. But uh, I, I, understood, I understood the sportsmanship side of it. Go and shake their hands, absolutely. Like you and Hurd, you had a lot of respect for each other and you'd shake hands and even change jumpers that time, but it was never hugging opponents and posing for selfies. No way. I'd rather punch Hurd in the head than (laughs) (laughs) sit there and stand and talk about the... What are you talking about? I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, no, it's a a different environment, you know? It's it's a loving environment. I've I've generally got to turn it off after the game now, especially the the North games. I just go, oh, I can't watch it. The white line fever comes back. Stop yeah. hugging him. We've Stop just been beaten by 20 goals and we're having a chat. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that should eat you. Eat, yeah. eat away at you as a player. Like, and it, it it does to some, but, and I know it used to do, you know, to myself and yourself, like, you, you get so angry, so frustrated, you know, so down. You're like, right, yeah. I've got to fix this. I can't feel like this. I don't want to feel like this, you know. We have um, blokes like Peter Bell, who was a great North mm-hmm. Melbourne player, even better when he went to Frio. Um, he he was that angry with his game once at the MCG. He ran he ran home to Ascot Vale. Did he? <laughs> he gave his bag to Adam Simpson and said, "I'm going." Oh, he was that upset with the way he played. He wanted to punish himself, so he ran from the MCG back home. In the meantime, there were freaking blokes so. around having a chat. Going, let's go have a latte together. Far out. <laughs> <laughs> you look back on that great team you had at North. You won two premierships. Do you think that was about right? Do you think you left one or two on the table, or do you think you overachieved? Um, two, two, two's hard to win, but the '98 uh, should have been. Yeah, when I, when I think back now, it should have been at least three. Should have definitely won that '98 grand final. That was just ridiculous how we lost that. So yeah, I, I, I think 
On par or maybe underachieved just yep. a little bit. So two know. to three was probably about the sweet I, spot. I, I think three, yeah. So many good teams at that time. Now, the Kangaroos have had that great run and then, unfortunately, nearly 20 years ago now, would you believe, March 2002, an event at your house unfortunately changed North Melbourne in a way we don't remember too fondly. Walk us through what you can remember about that night. Oh. Yeah, don't really like going back to that night. <laughs> that was sort of the beginning of the end, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it's obviously been well documented. Everyone knows what happened. Um, but yeah, the, the overriding emotion was is the sadness. Obviously, it's anger at the start, and then, but even now, it's it's just sad that we were because we was you know we've been talking about it for the last fifty minutes how close we were and what an integral part of our, the closeness Wayne was. And, um, yep, so he, uh, he stepped over a line that you don't step over and um, and that was the end of it. And it really, it set us back for a bit, particularly early on, like in that first month, Steve-O was going to give it up, I was going to give it up and I don't know, your mind wasn't working all that well at that time. I was thinking, the club might fold here. I think we might even fold. <laughs> I think everyone's just going to walk away. It was that bad at the start, and it was just—it was overwhelming. Particularly the the media and all that was just ridiculous. Just couldn't get away to the point I had to drive home at one stage because I was with Steve the whole time, and my wife and young kids, and they were camped outside my house. It was like something out of Hollywood. I rocked up and there's like fifteen cars there, taking pictures of my kids through the fence. Like, what are you doing? So. Some poor cadet got sent to the door when he he saw me pull up. So they've obviously sent the young kid up there. And uh, I've gone in and I've, I'm copying it from my wife about this is, can't even go outside, this is stupid and all that sort of stuff. And then I go bang on the door and I go, oh, that's it. <laughs> and I've got a glass door and this, I think the kid saw the anger on my face. He took a couple of steps back. <laughs> and I opened the door and I said, listen, <laughs> You've got 10 minutes. 10 minutes to get your cars out of here. Otherwise, I'm coming down with a cricket bat and I'm going to smash every window in. <laughs> and I was going to. I was in, you know, when you're in that rage. And then I looked down and all the cars started fire falling off. But we couldn't go anywhere. Me and Steve, he wanted to go see his parents up in the bush. And I'm driving him, looking up, helicopters following and... The helicopter chase. Oh, my yeah. goodness. And then we get to his parents and then they land and they come... Door knocking, I'm going, this is unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was tough times. And, and you were thrown right into the mix because, you know, you're having a, 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 a gathering at your house and then you were virtually the front man for it all. So all of a sudden, you know, obviously you're trying to protect Steve-O and then Wayne's gone to ground. And so you you were it. They were coming through you because you were the one that, you know, could talk and, and you were the front man to it all. So that's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. Yeah, yeah, this ended, ended up being the middleman. And, uh, yeah, it was... I don't know, at, at the time, though, I was just just focusing on Steve-O, really, because yep. to go through something like that and go through something like that so publicly, I was I was actually quite I was quite worried about him. Um, and it was, it was three days after the event that it all sort of came out. Um, and I was at the physio, because we were playing, and I was... And then Steve O called me and said, um, uh, yeah, Kelly's confessed, you know. It did happen. I was like, oh, yeah. I said, oh, I'll be there in a minute. 
So I quickly get my gear on, Collins Street physio, going to his place. He was in Ascot Vale at the time. And I'm ringing him because I've just had these really bad thoughts and he's not answering the phone. And I'm thinking, what? I was thinking of the worst, you know. And I've raced there at a thousand kilometres an hour because I rang him ten times, no answer. Then banged on the door because it was locked and I was about to go around the back and he opens the door in a towel. Why oh, aren't you answering the phone? He goes, I was having a shower. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. This put me through hell for 10 minutes. You've never been so happy to see someone in your life, though, when he answered the door. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, and then the rest was history. Well, then, well, the media really played it out like it was, you know, yes, Anthony Stevens, Wayne Carey, but Glenn Archer, Wayne Carey, it's going to be on, you know. So yeah. they're, they're just waiting for that to come together whenever that would be. If Wayne went to another football club, if he ever played each other ever again, and, you know, I, I know the football world were like, well, what is going to happen? Because obviously we know with you that you play over that edge <laughs> and um, and obviously you're very loyal to your, your mate, Steve-O. So um, it was just a really intriguing time. You know, as a, a you know opposition player, you're just like... You, know, you just know how unsta- unstable that can make an organisation and, and a group. So, yeah, it was really sort of watch your space, what's going to happen next. Uh, and it's such a long time ago now. So what was it, my was it 20 years ago nearly? Yeah, it was my yep. wife's 30th, so she's nearly 50, the old bag. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's still, it's still, we still talk about it now. It's just something that's going to go on forever. And it's even... Uh, I noticed that at my um, son's footy grand final last year, two years ago, whenever they played the, in the grand final, and uh, they had the crowd yelling out to him, like he was 16 or something, you know, Wayne Carey's your dad and all this sort of stuff, and oh, oh my geez. God. Did this, you go over this, and had a quiet word never, with those never, people? This never ends. You can't be saying that. Did you go over and say something to these people or just sort of let it go thinking if you did that it could escalate and then there's going to be a problem? Uh, no, my mother-in-law wasn't happy. She was, <laughs> she was about to... Yeah, well, it's a brave a person crack. to do that knowing that Glen Archer might be across <laughs> the other side of the oval. Uh, yeah, but they're not so brave when Glen Archer's standing there. It's a bit different if Glen Archer's 500 metres away. They get a bit of Dutch courage. Yeah, no, it was one of them... Okay. You know, they, they grand finals, they get crowds behind the goals. Jim yeah. the young kids yeah. and all that stuff. The young kids weren't even alive. And they're, and they're yelling these things out. My wife's going, what are they saying? <laughs> you don't want to know. Don't want to know. <laughs> the positive to come from that was round one that season, you go over and play Port Adelaide. Basically, the team has been drastically reshuffled with Kerry no longer there. Port Power, a premiership contender. It's one of the most special victories I'm sure you've ever been a part of. Yeah, it was after all that. <laughs> you know, a few weeks before that, I wasn't, I was retiring. Um, yeah, so to go over there, Steve, I'd come back from a knee just to rub salt into the wounds. So it was my 200th game, and then we, I think we were paying about $5.50, I reckon. So no one gave us any hope. 2003, you came up against Adelaide twice. The first, that famous game at now Marble Stadium in round six. That must have been a surreal feeling. Yeah, um, an uncomfortable feeling. <laughs> it was uh, it was a strange one in the fact that before the game, me and Steve hadn't really spoke about it during the week leading into that game. So I reckon it was only probably an hour before the game. I'm sort of focusing on 
what I've got to do. And I went up to, I thought, I'd better go speak to Steve about what are, what are we doing here? So I went up to him and I said, what are we doing? He goes, what do you mean? I go, are we fighting or are we playing? He goes, no, no, we're just playing. We get the four points and we go home and you know, we don't lower ourselves and all that sort of stuff. About five minutes in, Steve was running in and punching Wayne in the guts. <laughs> and like, Oh, God, here we go. Um, and yeah, then at one stage... Wayne, I don't think he needs Steve-O in the stomach when he when Steve-O was on all uh, on all four haunches, which obviously I'm thinking, really? So I, that sort of vision of me about to throw a punch, it was me basically saying to Wayne, if anyone should be doing that, he should be doing that to you. And then I did the thing and he flinched. I went, yes, that's enough for me. <laughs> Walked away. It, it, now, what, it was what, compelling viewing. You know, I'd love to know the ratings on that match because yeah. I think the whole football world would have been tuning in just to see what had happened. And we do remember that moment, you know, standing to each other and I'm like, oh, look out here. But, um, yeah, it was it was quite a, a memorable moment, one of the probably most memorable football moments when you look back at, you know, some of the stuff that's happening in football history with what had obviously eventuated earlier on, but yeah, I think everyone in the football world was watching that match. Yeah. Well, the, the good thing about that moment is I didn't throw the punch mm. because it, had I thrown it, I would have got fired back real quick. <laughs> <laughs> he was the best fighter I've ever seen. <laughs> he, he could have been a heavyweight boxer. I've got no doubt. He was so sharp in the ring. We did a lot of boxing. Um, so yeah, it was Lucky I didn't throw it. Just an amazing <laughs> athlete. And later on in the year, in a game that didn't get the same attention, you went back over there and you knocked him off at Footy Park, and that was another special victory, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was still was weird. Yeah. You know, it was weird watching him, even when we weren't playing in an Adelaide jumper. It just didn't look right. Um, even though he still he did okay, but, yeah, I, I couldn't really bring myself to watch him in that jumper. How's the relationship with him now? Uh, well, we didn't speak at all for years, but now we, I see him at the odd function here or there and we're, we're fine, we're amicable. Um, we bumped into each other in Bali a few years ago <coughs> and we caught up and had a beer. It was the first time I'd spoke to him at all. Uh, a lot of it was around, you know, I think we need to come together for our premiership reunions because the re- reunions were horrible. Too much tension in the air, so the reunions are good now, so... Steve-O caught up and had a chat with him as well. So it sounds like going to this year's 15-year premiership reunion is probably the most positive it's been? Yeah, oh, we did have a boy recently because being on the board um, and for some <laughs> unknown friggin' reason, people think that I run the club. I've, I've, I've actually got a day job. I don't run the club at all. So yeah, Wayne rings up and has a crack at me every now and then. He's, he's very passionate about the footy club. So, uh, yeah, the last time he rang, I had a crack back. And, um, it's extraordinary, though, being on a footy club board. Don't, you, you don't do it. No, no, no. Don't, don't, never don't never don't been on it. the board, but it, there's just so much that the board goes through. You know, it's, yeah. there, there's so much that goes on behind closed doors. And when you think the club's running really well, there's so much going on, you know, and so many things that you're trying to get on top of and yeah. you're trying to plan, you're trying to secure the future. There's, it's a, a never-ending job. Well, one of the things that once you become privy to all the information, and so you know exactly what the information is, you know exactly what you're doing, you know, you know exactly what you where you're going. I just find it extraordinary how wrong the media get it. 
Mm. Like there might be just a certain subject, and then they report it. One hundred and ten percent wrong. I know. I'm in that room. I know exactly what the what's happening. They get one hundred and ten percent wrong. It is unbelievable. And how hard is it for you to not contact said journalist and say you've got it wrong because you're probably not allowed to say what the truth is? Well, I don't read papers and the uh, what's the news. I haven't for years. I just find it depressing. Um, but my mates get a kick out of sending me articles on WhatsApp. Of it's generally a Caroline Wilson or a Damian Barrett having a crack at me about something, you know. So that's that's how I get my information. But how hard and is it not to it. bite back? I know I've bitten back once at Damian and once at um, Caro, but it's just a waste of time. You just give them more ammunition. Yeah, they just keep throwing it out there. Yeah, the more and you whack them, they just come back twice as hard. With again. Things that are one hundred percent wrong. Yeah, and, and, and like you know, Caroline Wilson. I see that she's you know whacked Hawthorne last night, saying that you know Sam Mitchell and Alistair Clarkson are in mediation, and it's going, it's a disaster. Well, your club doesn't perform like it does on a weekend if it's a disaster, if that stuff's happening. So, yeah, I, I, yeah it amazes me as well. But the thing is, they throw it out there; they don't have to have much behind it, and everyone starts talking about it. Yeah. And, and I'd love to, I'd love to. Maybe we could do a show where we actually go back, you know, over the last couple of months and see where everyone's got it wrong oh, and just yeah. start making everyone accountable to what's actually happening in the real world. Well, it's it's a horrible existence, I reckon, uh, when you're at that sort of level of journalism. Because all you're doing, and I'm, yeah, them two especially, that, that is trying to put people down, ruin people's lives, make sure they lose their job, make sure someone gets a sack... Um, cause complete friction around clubs and individuals. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? I don't. I don't get it. And then put your head on the pillow at night and think everything's okay. Oh, because I'm just doing my job. And don't worry about the destruction you just left behind you. I think you could not pay me enough to do something like that. So, um, yeah, as you can probably tell them to one on my uh, <laughs> Christmas, Christmas list. card list. Yeah, but that, but that's what happens. But you, yeah, you love you know, and then you look at you know, there's a f- few journalists out there who are just amazing. I reckon who just you know will not go with a story until they got hardcore facts, and yeah. you know, you you just love the way they do things. But the thing is, that doesn't that doesn't sell the papers, does it? It no, doesn't get us talking. Um, and Quinny's normally behind all that. He's one of their very professional operators, <laughs> you know, the way that he goes about his stuff. And the other thing they know, they know that you're not going to sue them for defamation. It's too hard because like, it's a three-, four-year process. Um, so, yeah, they've, I've had a couple of things said. Oh, I know that. They're just untrue. I can, I can prove it, but well, I haven't got four years to piss fart around with lawyers. No, but, but the good thing with that is you, you've got to go and challenge, you know. You, yeah. you don't just let people get away with that, whoever it is, you know, saying certain things. If they've got it completely wrong, you, you've got to go and challenge them. I think that's – I think to hold them accountable and keep them hopefully within the the tram tracks. Um, but, you know, obviously it doesn't work with some people. Yeah. Well, one of the main reasons why I resigned from the board of – Last month was I don't need that in my life. Yep, I, I need. I'm always going to be there for the club. Absolutely, they bring me tomorrow. I'm, I'm helping, <coughs> but I don't need to. I don't need the board position. Club's in good shape, and I don't have to deal with 
idiots like that writing stuff about you. Because again, it has a domino effect because your kids read it and they're, they're into the social media and they're a little bit older and then you've got to answer their questions. What are they saying that about you? <laughs> oh, God, another question to answer. So uh, that's good just to sit back in the background and do your bit and you don't have to put up with them idiots. Now, you just made an interesting comment. You said you couldn't pay you enough and the Sydney Swans found that out the hard way in 1993. Is it true <laughs> that you were on 5000 a year at North Melbourne and the Swannies came offering with a $450,000 offer three, over three years and you said thanks? But no thanks. Yeah, no, I, I definitely thought about it. <laughs> it's a, it's five, a lot of money to knock back. Me five grand wasn't covering me petrol. <laughs> <laughs> Although you're catching the train. Um. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I definitely thought about it for a fleeting moment. But uh, you know, my on train to AFL football was North Melbourne, and uh, if it wasn't for them. I don't know where of what path I would have went down, but uh, so I was indebted to them for the rest of my life. So um, even though the money surprised me, like I didn't realise people got paid that sort of money. I didn't think Gary Ablett got paid that sort of money. I was, you know, no manager, I had no idea about money. So um, that that caught me on the hop. So I went and I told Greg Miller, um, who was our footy manager at the time. And uh, so, because I stayed, he gave me a pay rise of sixteen thousand. So, I got. So go hang on. Bit. So you, you you were getting five grand, okay, playing with uh, North Melbourne. Can <laughs> the Swans come in and go? Here's four hundred plus, four hundred fifty. And then North Melbourne said, "Okay, we need to pump our offer up. We'll give you sixteen. <laughs> and I was like, "Sold." <laughs> My uh, negotiation skills went real good. Well, you did then. go up though, so that, yeah. that's a positive. But um, well, and I've said it's not to, all about money, but that's pretty significant. Yeah, how about it? You know, we. We had Stride Sports Management for 14 years, managed over a 1,000 footballers. And uh, like I used to say to the managers, you know, sometimes, you know, they've got to earn their stripes. Yep. And you can't just go in and ask them for 500 grand. They haven't had a kick yet. So uh, uh, you'll always get looked after, as you know, in, in yep. this industry. If you perform, you perform, you'll get paid. And I and don't worry, I got paid well, you know, once I got through my 5,000, 6,000. Yeah, and then it yeah. grew, and when, once I actually put some runs on the board, then they paid me well. Yeah. Yeah. All right, final question, and we've loved having a chat. This might be a tough one, though. Tell us the haircut story. With Steve-O? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we love Steve-O. He's, he's, you know, he's from way I. <laughs> he left school at 13, <laughs> so he, he has said some dumb things. Did he really leave school at 13? Yeah. To work yeah. on the farm? Yeah. yeah wow. Playing with the teats. Um, but yeah, we we, had to, we got sent out to Berwick for a, a, a school clinic, and on the way out, we go up Daniel Road. He goes, "Oh, I want to say, stop at Chadston and get a haircut." Um, I went, "Yeah, right. We got plenty of time." So he's getting the we're this close together. He's getting the haircut. I'm just sitting there reading a magazine. We got the full kit on the full oh, North Melbourne, North Melbourne kit. kit going out to the yes. <laughs> to the clinic, and as. Hairdressers do, they're making small talk and he's chatting back and um, she goes, oh, what do you do? And he goes, oh, AFL superstar, play for North Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't really say that, but I'll throw that yeah. in. Um, but then there was like a, uh, yeah, she said, oh, well, football, what else? He goes, oh, no, I 
full-time football now. I was a farmer and all that sort of stuff. And uh, then it sort of stopped and there was a pause. And so you could see my, Steve A's mind <laughs> ticking over going, what question can I ask her? He goes, um, so, uh, and what do you do for a living? <laughs> <laughs> and I've got the magazine, I put the magazine, I go, what? And she just holds up the scissors. <laughs> Take a guess. <laughs> How do you come back uh, from that? Just yeah. put your head down and say nothing. No, and he's, as he does with it, oh, no, I was only joking. Go, no, you weren't. <laughs> I, I love the fact that you two have gone for a haircut with your North Melbourne track suits on together. <laughs> Full kit. <laughs> Just sitting there at the big shopping centre. Would you see AFL players doing that these days? Wearing their full kit? No, sitting down. they'd have the latest fashion on and yeah. design a haircut as well. <laughs> uh, we've loved having a chat. Thank you so much for coming in today. Shinbone of the century. Loved by all. All the best. Thanks, Quinny, and uh, stay away from them bars down the street. G'day, punters, for the chance to win a ticket for you and 10 mates into the Tab Superbox. The magic code word this week is GOAL. Full terms and conditions in the show notes. There's a chill in the air, but the footy's heating up. And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, anytime goal scorer and total disposals all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858.